Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Tonight is week number two in a six-week series walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. Last week we talked about the problem of time. We talked about how time can be a giant eraser in life, which is why it is so important that we anchor ourselves to the things in life that cannot be erased. We talked about anchoring ourselves to the Word of God and to the people of God, and when we are founded, grounded on things that cannot be erased, we will find meaning in the mist. Now tonight we're going to talk about the problem of work, and I warned you last week as you were leaving that if you are retired, you might really enjoy this sermon, and if you are not retired, you might really need this sermon. I I wanted to open today by reading the lyrics from a surprisingly insightful song about work and toil. You've probably heard this song before as a child, uh, but I bet you've never paused to consider how ecclesiastical it is. So I'd like to read you the lyrics from this song. This is by Larry Morey in 1937, written for the Walt Disney Company. We're talking about work. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Are you ready? We dig, 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 dig in our mind the whole day through. To dig, 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 it's what we like to do. It ain't no trick to get rich quick if you dig, dig, dig with a shovel or a pick in a mine. In a mine. Okay, raise your hand if you've never seen Snow White. Great, so we're all on the same page here. Where a million diamonds shine. Just go, go with me here. I've got one more stanza. We're going to make it. We dig, 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 dig from early morning till night. We dig, 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 dig up everything in sight. We dig up diamonds by the score, a thousand rubies, sometimes more. But we don't know what we dig them for. We dig, 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 dig. Does anyone work in the trades? I feel like if you work in the trades, you would listen to this song and you go, yeah, 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 dig, 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 dig. And that's where we're going to be at. My, my first job was watering palm trees at my church that I grew up with in uh, Mesa, Arizona. Um, I was very young, and the job was is that I would take one hour each day for five days a week, and I would water all the palm trees around the church and so that they wouldn't die in the summer, as most things do in Arizona. And so uh, that was the job, and I would get paid $2 an hour, and at the end of the week, I would have $10 from five hours of labor. My dad was the pastor of the church, which explains kind of the child labor uh, issues there in that story. And so I got my new job. I was very excited about it. And what I realized in the first week is that if I went really fast, if I turned the water hose up all of the way, and if I moved quickly, if I ran from tree to tree, that I actually could get this entire job done in 20 minutes instead of an hour. But there was a problem. I wasn't getting paid by the tree. I was getting paid by the hour. So if I got the work done too fast, I got paid less. So I had to recalibrate. 
So then I found out that if I slowed the water down (laughs) to about a third of its speed, and every day for an hour I would sit on the hot Arizona dirt and watch the water slowly saunter out of the hose, that feeling, I believe that we have all felt that feeling in our work. Whether you've worked in a major corporation in the trades and education or in the home, whether you're a full-time student, self-employed, an hourly employee, or a CEO, we've all felt that. And that feeling, that exhaustion, that sweat, that frustration of work, Ecclesiastes has a word for it. It's a Hebrew word, and that word is havel. Good job. Extra bonus points for being here last week. Last week, we talked about this Hebrew word that's called hevel. It appears 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in your Bible, it's probably translated as the word meaningless or vanity, but it actually means so much more. It's hevel is fleeting like a mist. It is an enigma like a vapor. So much of this life can feel like hevel, but we believe that God wants all of his children to find meaning in the mist. Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to begin in chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. The Word of God says this. So, what do we people get in this life from all of their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Can we pray as we get started? Father, we thank you for this, this group tonight. I thank you for your spirit in this room, and I thank you for your word. I believe that we can trust in you, and we can see your word come to life to us tonight. Let your spirit speak to us through this book, that we might be changed and shaped to look a little bit more like your son. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, as a quick heads up, I want to let you know how we're going to walk through the book of Ecclesiastes in this series. There's a couple ways that you could do it. One way that you could do it, it's 12 chapters, and we could walk through it sequentially, chapter by chapter. But if you did that, you would notice that many of the topics in the book of Ecclesiastes keep appearing. So it might talk about the problem of work in chapters 2 and 4 and And then it might talk about the problems of wisdom in chapters 3 and 5 and 7. And so instead of walking through the book sequentially, we're going to work through the book in the next six weeks by topics. And so today, you'll see that we're going to hop around a little bit in the book, but we're focusing in on this problem of work. I'd like to get started by considering three complaints that people have for their work, that the book of Ecclesiastes has for your work, and I want to see how these complaints resound with us today. So the first is found in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 13 through 16. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, It is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. The complaint number one I want to look at tonight is the complaint of, I want more recognition. You know, this passage says that it is better to be a poor, wise youth. Why? 
Because a poor, wise youth has only one direction to go. It can only go up from there. It's only going to get better. And this is the American dream. This is the road to recognition. And for most of us in our lives, I think I felt this way. I think we've all felt this way. The desire, the complaint that with our work, wouldn't it be great if we just had a little more recognition? For most people, recognition shows up in two buckets. And it would be more money and more responsibility. So if your supervisor walks in tomorrow and says, hey, we think you're doing an amazing job. We would love to pay you more for doing the exact same thing. You would say, yes, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. I'm so glad to be recognized, and you're showing me that recognition through money. That's a, a, a powerful way. I think we would all say yes to this. The other way would be with more responsibility. If your supervisor walked in tomorrow and said, hey, I want to let you know I'm retiring, and I want you to take my job. Because we think that you're doing so good at what you're doing now, we think you can handle more responsibility and you will be even more successful with more on your plate. That would be a compliment. We would receive that. And if you think back, you know, if you think back to when you were five, I bet that your dream job was something very wholesome. You know, I, I want to be a firefighter and an artist, a, a teacher. I bet by the time that you were 15, um, your dream job had a better paycheck attached to it. I think that by the time you were a dream job, it'd be like, you know, I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be a, a movie star. I want to be a, a personal injury lawyer. You know what I mean? Like, like something. Like somewhere in your brain, you realize that if I'm going to have the money that I want, then like then this, this is what the top actually looks like. Like this, this, is where, this is where I really want to go. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, okay, if you think that more recognition is going to bring you contentment, if you think that more recognition is going to bring you meaning in life, more money, more responsibility, let's play the card. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, let's work this out. Let's see what this is. Okay, so what if you got all the recognition you ever wanted? What if you were a poor but wise youth who then everything went really, really well for you would advance and advance. You'd get more recognition and more recognition until you were king, until you were Jeff Bezos or the president or the greatest athlete of all time or the highest paid personal injury lawyer. And like you, like you made it. And you had all of the recognition that you could ever imagine. What happens next? And the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us what would happen next. If you rose all the way to the top, if you got everything that you wanted, in a second, someone would come up behind you and take you out of your throne. That it only lasts for a moment, and then you would lose everything. We chase after recognition, but what if recognition is hevel? What if chasing after recognition will leave you lost in the mist? Let's move to Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and look for our second complaint. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6 says this, There is another serious tragedy I have seen under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want, but then he doesn't give them the chance to enjoy these things. They die and someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth. This is meaningless. A sickening tragedy. The second complaint is, I want more freedom. 
This week, the CEO of Disney ordered all of their uh, at-home employees back into the office. And so they are back at least four days a week back in the office. And, you know, <laughs> does anyone work at home in the room? I know you're there. Don't be shy. We see you. Congratulations. We love you all, but we talk about you behind your backs. Do you know what the most magical place on earth is? My house in my pajamas. Like the idea of like slowly working into a work day about 10 a.m., taking a two-hour lunch, and then wrapping things up early at 3 p.m. Like that, 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 sounds, that sounds great. You know, for most people, freedom shows up in two buckets. And the first would be time, and the second one would be money. I want the time to do the things that I want to do. And then I also want the money so that I can afford to do the things that I want to do. Uh, Ecclesiastes says, you, may get, you might get one, but you're not going to get both. If you want money to do the things that you want to do, it is going to cost you time. You are going to work a lot of hours, going the extra mile, impressing the boss, starting your own business, working your side hustle. But if you get that money, it is going to cost you time. It will rob you of your freedom of time. And if you want time, well, then it's going to cost you money. If you shortchange your education, if you start planning, if you start phoning it in at work, if you get, go from part-time instead of full-time, if you will have less money, and if you get fired, you'll have all the time in the world, but no money. So which life do you want to live? And I hear you. I feel like some of this message is for all of us in the room. And then me, being a man, I feel like there's, there's some man things in here that are very well dressed. And I can hear all of the arrogant men in the room being like, I can do it. I can have it all. Money and time. I can do it. I can manage it. Like, I, I can be the one guy that figures it out. Like, I can be the one guy that makes it happen. And if you are the one person that goes, hey, I, I got this. I can have both money and time. I think the writer of Ecclesiastes wants to kind of lean in and just slap you in the face and say, no, no, you're, you're not going to get both. It's going to be one or the other. You're either going to have money or you're going to have time. And when you keep pushing for that freedom, when you keep saying, man, if I just had more freedom, if I just had the money and time to enjoy my life, then I'd figure everything out. And Ecclesiastes says, it's all, it's all hevel. You're, you're not going to get there. You might get one, but you're not going to get both. And maybe your desiring for freedom is just leading you farther into the mist. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to find our third complaint about work. So this is uh, verses 18 and 19. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18 and 19 says this. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish, yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. The third complaint is this. I want legacy. You know, many workers reach this point in their careers where their priorities shift. Maybe in their younger years, it was about pursuing recognition or freedom. But now recognition and freedom aren't at the top of the list. 
the value shift looks like this. It's not about the money. It's about providing for the people that they love. It's not about the promotion. It's about doing work that really matters, work that improves the lives of the people around them. It's not about what they can take. It's about what they leave behind. One thing I love about this group is the generational spread that we have in the room. And I've got people in this room who are in that first five or ten years of a building career. I feel like in your 20s and 30s, it is go time. It is time for you to take the extra job, to do the extra education, and to really push and strain to build that life. Those that are in their 40s and 50s are kind of in that thriving spot where someone's actually starting to listen to what you have to say at work, where there are management opportunities, leadership opportunities that are opening for you, and someone is no longer treating you just for your physical strength, but they're beginning to treat you with value because of what you think and because of your mind and your talent and your skill. And then I've got those in the, in the room who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And that's where you often see this transition that says, man, I've, I've fought some battles and I, I don't need to fight the battles anymore. You know, I've built some stuff and I don't need to build things anymore. But I'm beginning to think more about what I'm going to leave behind. You know, if you're an employer, those kinds of people would make really great employees, people who believe in the work that they're doing, people who have higher ambitions than just one more promotion or one more perk. I'm sure that we've all heard many sermons about leaving a legacy, and they might use language like this. How will you be remembered? What will people say about you after you're gone? What will you leave behind? Building a legacy sounds like a great thing, and there is much value in building a godly legacy. But I want you to think about those words that I just said and where was the center of those goals? Where was those motivations when I say, what will you leave behind? How will you be remembered? And as much as we all can strive for a legacy, I would like to think that maybe in this one complaint that the writer of Ecclesiastes might leave us alone, but... He doesn't. He says, listen, you could spend your whole life building something that is truly good, and when you're gone, it could disappear like a mist. You could spend your whole life building an orphanage for children in a third world country, and two years after you die, it gets mismanaged and it's gone. You could work your whole life to build up uh, enough finances to fund your family for generations, and one idiot son-in-law could ruin it all. Don't name any names. It's a noble thing to leave something good behind, yes. But becoming consumed with legacy can also be an arrogant battle with time. A futile refusal to be erased. A stubborn resistance of the sovereignty of God. Ecclesiastes says, what if even legacy is hevel? What if becoming consumed with what you leave behind will leave you lost in the mist? I want to remind ourselves of the three complaints we've listed tonight. I want more recognition. I want more freedom. And I want legacy. I want to tell you that working on this sermon, every single one of these has just hit me in the face. Because I'm a person who from a very young age has been a very driven person. I am the nerd who stays after school, who tries to get not just an A, but an A+. I'm the person who kind of 
doesn't, I would be bored if I was just working 40 hours a week. Like I'm always pushing. And when I check my heart for the presence of these three motivations, I have to tell you that different times in my life, they've all been there. And I think most of us can see some percentage of these motivations at work in our work. When we come home at the end of the day and we go, man, I just want more recognition. Man, if I could just have more freedom. If I could just know that I was going to be a legacy. That they were going to be talking about me for generations after I left. If I, if I could just get those things, it would help bring meaning in my life. And the voice of God wants to speak to us tonight and say, stop. You're just moving further into the mist. This is the problem of work. There's so much strain and sweat and exhaustion, and our hearts are hungry for meaning. So, if that's not the way, then how do we find meaning in our work? I believe that God has called every man and woman to labor. There is deep purpose in our struggle. Whenever Mandy and I sit down with a, a, a young couple for premarital counseling, one of the themes that we'll talk about with them often is that God did not give you marriage to make you happy, but God gave you marriage to make you holy. That, that in the refinement of time, that the goal of the marriage wasn't just to make, just to have fun, but the goal of the marriage was that, that through the struggle of your marriage, you will, you will sharpen each other, and as the years go by, each one of you will, will begin to look more like Christ because of your marriage. I think the exact same thing would be true with your work. I don't think that God gave you work to make you happy. I think that God gave you work to make you holy. That through the struggle, through the long days and the sweat and the frustration and the good bosses and the bad bosses and the easy days and the hard days, you will learn and be shaped and be humbled and be strengthened and be renewed and be encouraged and be made more resilient, and be made more compassionate, and be made more Christ-like. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. We will, see, we will either use our work to serve God, or we will start serving our work. You know, one of the most well-known passages in the whole book of Ecclesiastes is in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And um, you can guess it, uh, it's about work. And in Ecclesiastes 3, it'll take me uh, about two minutes to read through all of this. But what the writer does in a really beautifully poetic way, he helps us frame the pathway towards finding meaning in our work. I think for us tonight, it's been very easy for each one of us to recognize the problem of work, right? It's really easy to, to see the complaints, to identify with the complaints, but I'm so thankful that the word of God doesn't lead us alone. And it shows us the way. It leads us down the path towards finding meaning in our work. And the writer of Ecclesiastes does this in such a beautiful way that I, I don't want to make the conclusion tonight. I want to let the word of God make the conclusion to our talk. But as I read these words, I would just encourage you to take a breath and to listen carefully. You can read along on the screen behind me. And allow these words, almost like a prayer, to rest on you. And so if, if you have packed on, as I've, as I've triggered tonight, some of the anxieties and frustrations that you've had with your work, 
I would like now for the word of God to bring peace into your heart and to help us all find meaning in our work. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 12 says this. For everything there is a season. A time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to be healed. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get from all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So, I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Can I tell you about the trees I used to water? So, um, the property of the church was one acre, and this is in Mesa, Arizona, uh, and my dad was the pastor. When we started, the, I, w- I lived there for nine years. I was there until I was 16. And so when we started the church, the church was running about 80 or 90 people. And when we left, the church was running about uh, 250, 300 people during that, that nine-year time. And God had placed a vision on my dad's heart for future growth for the church. And so the one acre that the church was located on uh, was four acres back from the main road. And the main road had a lot of traffic. This was a, a big growing area in Phoenix, but then there, were, there was nothing. It was just an empty lot for the four acres from the edge of the church out to the street. And so during those nine years, my, my, my dad and the church did a lot of vision casting. They raised a lot of money. A lot of people gave very sacrificially, and they eventually bought the two acres at the end of the street. And then about five years later, they did the same campaign and they built and they bought the two acres in between. So they now owned everything from the street all the way back to where the church was. The church is growing. And then when I'm about 16, dad sits us down on the couch and dad says, hey, I think God's calling us our, as a family and him as a, as a, a teacher to be a, a Bible for professor. So at that point when we were 16, we left Arizona, we moved to Springfield, Missouri, and my dad then, he's retiring next year. So he'll then have spent 20, 25 years as a, a college Bible professor. And there was this dream that was unfinished. There was literally the unfinished ground there as we packed up and walked away and left from this church. So today, um, on that property is a a church that runs a little over 3,000, and uh, they've got a sanctuary about the size of our sanctuary that's built on that land. We will not see 
the full scope of what God wants to do in our lives. You're, you're not going to do it. And I love you. I know I've got some stubborn people in the room that are like, I can figure it out. I, I, I can do it. Like, I've, I've got a plan. I've got my 10-year plan. I've got my 20-year plan. Like, I've, I've, got, I've got my 401k. Like, I've got, I've got this all figured out. I, I can make this happen. And if you say those words, if you push against with your arrogance, you are literally pushing against the word of God because he said the exact opposite. He assured you that you will not see the scope, that you will not understand what God is doing. And so when you trust, when you lean into the, the, the complaints, the I, I, I want more recognition, I, I want more freedom, I want more legacy, God says, I love you, but you're not going to get it. You're not going to be able to wrap your mind around it. So here's my instruction for you. My instruction for you is to eat and drink and be thankful for the good gifts that God's given to you. I'm thinking about everyone in the room. Who's, who's got a job right now, who's got income coming in. It might be a, a retirement plan. It might be active income that you're working a job right now. And I would encourage you in the spirit of Ecclesiastes that if, if you have the money that you can afford this and it would be wise to Friday night order pizza, I would encourage you to order pizza. And when you open up that pizza and you take that first bite, I would encourage you to thank God. And that in your struggle, in your weariness, in the frustration of all of the things that God will not let you see, of the things that you will not understand, that you could sit there and eat a slice of pizza and say, thank you, God. Thank you for being the God who is the God of my daily bread. You never said that you would give me enough for five months, but you did say that you would be enough today. You did promise me that you would be enough for today. And if you have, been, if you have given me good work to do today, then glory to the name of God. Praise to his name that he has been so kind and gracious to you. I know I have saints of God in this room who can testify of the provision of God who can say how good he has been from decade to decade of how faithful he has been. I know I have people in this room who have seen amazing miracles of provision in their life from an unexpected job loss to being in a situation that is better than they could ever imagine. God is so good, and in the hevel of work, I believe that there is a pathway towards meaning for all of us, that we can attach ourselves to his plan and to the words of God that cannot be erased. Amen? Father, we give you praise in this place tonight. I want to pray for every working hand in this room. I want to pray for everyone who is in a tough job. I want to pray for everyone who is in a frustrating place in their work. I want to pray for every person who is in between jobs, for everyone who is looking for work. I pray, Lord, that you would give us your mind and give us your direction. I pray, Lord, that if we have been led astray by, by temporary motivations, I pray that you would call us back to your hand. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in the difficult decisions that need to be made, in the unsure steps that we can have, knowing that we can't see the scope that we won't understand it, but that we can trust in you, we can listen to you, and we can lean on the one who sees all things, who knows all things, and who cares for the every detail of our lives.
I pray, Lord, for any, any home represented in this room that does not have enough. I pray, Lord, that you would be a provider of their daily bread. I pray that you would surround them with, with gracious people. I pray, Lord, that they would tap into the generosity of Christ. I pray, Lord, that, that if there are new job opportunities, I pray that you would give them the strength and the bravery to go after the things you would call them to. I pray that you would encourage anyone who feels less than in their workplace, anyone who feels unworthy in their workplace, and that you would challenge us to rise up and to grow and to be the leaders in our workplaces and in our communities that you've called us to be. I thank you for this night. I thank you that you have been so good to us. And I pray that as we leave this room, I pray that you would help us to take your spirit with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.